0: I basically needed to build history, a database in order to uh, eventually get to the value add of finance where you can actually help people. So, so the first 30 days was really asking what was needed from stakeholders, other departments, uh, investors, leadership team, and at that point to build the fundamentals to fit that need.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone onto the show today i'm thrilled to welcome koi lee vp of finance at hopper the fastest growing mobile only travel app in north america at hopper koi is responsible for the company's finance and accounting fraud operations management as well as company-wide operations including facilities people ops among others since joining hopper koi's team has grown from two full-time employees to 34. hopper is koi's first venture into working in tech Prior to Hopper, he was a VP at a real estate private equity fund and a director at a distribution company, where he was part of a reshoring team for a U.S. manufacturing plant and subsequent successful exit. Koi has a CPA designation and a Bachelor of Commerce degree from HEC in Montreal. So enough from me, let's get to our episode today with Koi Lee, VP of Finance at Hopper. Hey, Koi, thanks for joining me on The Backbone. We've got lots to get through, so let's dive right in. Uh, You know, you started your career with RSM Richter in Montreal. From there, you held progressive finance and operating roles at real estate and distribution companies before making the plunge into tech at Hopper. So talk to me about your journey into tech and finance and how it all started for you.
0: Thanks for having me, Shivam. Yeah, so, you know, just like most CPA uh, CAs, uh, you start your, your your career in a firm. Uh, RSM Richter wasn't one of the Big Four, so uh, the clients we had were a lot more entrepreneurial. You were much closer to uh, the decision makers uh, that you had to deal with. Uh, so it, it was very much a self-discovery stage. Um, you know, getting a glimpse of all kinds of industries, uh, learning about yourself as a professional too. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's a great school of, I think a lot of accountants would be missing out if they didn't actually, uh, if they didn't actually have to go through, uh, you know, th- those mandatory years in a firm. Um, but after a while, I think, um, you know, you do some introspection. Uh, you really, To me, it was really the issue of not ever really diving deep enough into projects uh secretly i was always a little bit you know envious of these people in companies where they they take a project from a to z and and they you know at the end of the day when it's successful they get you know they get to high five each other and um I was missing something from being just a part of a project, you know, as the professional, they hire for, you know, that tax advice, uh, that bit, that small part of a project. So, um, you know, I I knew at that point that I wanted to go into industry. um, And I had my first kick at the can um, at Miranda Technologies, which was a public company uh, doing hardware manufacturing for um, broadcasting equipment. In those days, where the hardware actually had the software embedded in it, (laughs) you know, it got me to learn about not everything revolves around your auditor (laughs) or your tax person. (laughs) That people actually do things because it's good for the business and not for the sake of um, uh, of gap principles. And so, it it was a good experience. Uh, We worked there. I got I got to touch. Different facets because they were working towards an exit, and then got into a legware distributor, uh, which clearly was working towards an exit. Um, owner was a lawyer and did not want to take over the family business, and so um, had worked there for three years, and then went into a private equity in real estate. So, as you can see, it's a uh, it's, it's quite a diverse portfolio of experience. And so, you know, for more of personal reasons and then uh, with the management at that P, uh, I decided to leave. So finally one that I didn't exit properly, but it's just, uh, it was, you know, divergence of culture and uh, uh, way of thinking. And so, you know, I, I left without really having anything set uh as you know the next job uh which was unusual like you you, you know after an exit you you always have a headhunter or uh, somebody uh looking to onboard you into their, the next job but this time i actually took time um to really reassess what i really like and what i wanted to take out from the next job i guess my three criterias back then was um I need to go back to a yes mentality. I've been through a couple of uh, old industries and if I ever had to hear because it was always done like this one more time, I think my head would explode. I really wanted to go back to create creator of value. Um, if you ever had to scratch margins, like in the textile industry or a- anything that's very cost sensitive, I I wanted to get away from that. I wanted to be in an in- industry where uh, people wanted to pay more because there was just so much value to it and rather than because they were just price sensitive uh, and, and really work with really focused people, less politics, more, uh, more bringing the boat to pork, you know, it's uh, mm-hmm. that, that was my main criterias. And so it, it, it sounded very much like startups, right? Uh, this, this, Creating creating value, extremely focused on you know eyes on the prize kind of mentality, was very much startups. And so I just made a list of startups in Montreal, and um, either apply if there was a role, or uh, just writing to the HR <laughs> department uh, to see where they were at. And so um, and so Hop- Hopper came calling. And I, I think uh, our CEO liked the boldness of just, you know, <laughs> writing to HR, I guess. Yeah. And, um, and he said, you know, that's the culture we need, you know, putting your foot in the door and making things happen. And so uh, the rest was history. I was at Hopper from then.
1: Tell me a bit more about Hopper. What does the company do and what is it all about?
0: Uh, We're an online travel agency uh, that specifically only sells through apps. What are really truly our mission is like get people to travel more uh, by saving them money and removing anxiety from planning uh, trips. So, one of the value props from that is. is our price prediction uh engine and so people can actually put in dates uh look up trips uh future trips that they're interested in and hopper will be able to analyze data much better than a human can do um there is no way you can go back and search for prices and see it moving and do it better than our our own engine so we're we're analyzing close to um uh, 10 trillion, we have 10 trillion uh, data point of prices historically. Oh, wow. There is really not much that uh, a human can do better <laughs> than a machine do, especially that there's often to the normal people, there's no rhyme or reason into airfare how the price moves. And so historical data uh, will and data science will allow, uh, allow for a much better prediction of how the price will move. Over 20% of our bookings today are generated through uh, AI, so basically us sending a recommendation. Very much is a business, a uh, conversational business, where you're allowing Hopper to talk to you, replace that, uh, that travel agent that our parents once has had as, um, as uh, the intelligence behind the travel industry
1: yeah, totally. and and I've uh, personally used Hopper myself. the first time I used it, it was very cool. I, I think I was just looking up um you know the the price of of tickets to get to Toronto. Uh, from Toronto to New York. And um, it said, Hey, this is the price, but if you can afford to wait, you should because we predict that prices are going to go down. And I was like, Oh, wow. It surpassed my expectations of what I was hoping to get out of Hopper. So that was a really cool aha moment for when I personally used it.
0: Right. And, and it's very counterintuitive, right? Um, you know, for all as finance people, we've been. Uh, We've been groomed on the ABC, right? You you get the customer in, you got to close the deal. And and here we go. And we say, hey, don't buy now. (laughs) Wait till, uh, you know, just wait. We'll we'll let you know when to buy it. So it's very counterintuitive. But I I guess that's the model when you have conversational uh, business, right? Um, You actually know who you're speaking to. And so there's not that urgency or Uh, putting people on like there's two seats left you better hurry up like this will this will go away at midnight and you know that that this whole stress and uh, um, pushing cells uh, through uh, through these you know i would call them old methods of selling uh, is very interesting now that you sell only through apps and so basically you have this direct line of of communication with the user.
1: Yeah, and it's totally very different from your previous roles in in uh well, in finance but in industries that were very different than than this. Uh that being real estate and distribution. So, you know, this being your first finance operating role at a tech company, I'm curious how the transition has been for you compared to your other previous roles uh that you held.
0: I would say it's a soft tech transition. Um, the reason I say that is Uh, hopper is not selling tech solutions Uh, at the end of the day we remain a travel agency so we're still selling a service uh, a good you know people come to buy airfare hotel room nights Um, and so the fundamentals still applies for uh, for finance right Uh, your supply uh, your supply, your price point, the quality and the delivery of the services are still the fundamentals of business. Um, so it, it wasn't such a shock, but of course, like the tech environment, um, you know, and its own lingo and uh, the, way they, the way they measure KPIs is, and and the channel through which we sell it may, makes it tech, right? Uh, and so it it wasn't too bad. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was uh, such a shock as, as you've seen that I've been through. I've never worked in the same industry twice. And so adaptability was, uh, was always something I sold um, uh, to Hopper that, you know, although I've never worked in, in tech, I've never worked in the, the same industry twice anyway. So, um, you know, the ability to adapt and to learn. is is what i was selling
1: and now given your time at hopper um what what would you say are some of the specific challenges and opportunities um that are specific to tech that you face now um which didn't
0: exist in your past roles so the opportunity wise i've never seen such a reach (laughs) in my life uh whether we were putting out a new product or a new line a new brand, it's like nothing goes as fast as tech. I, I mean, having forty million downloads uh, and and uh, like five million dollars, uh, five million uh, active users a month is the, the smallest incremental change that we make can, can have such a big effect, right? So it's. Um, mm. uh, I remember when we put out. Uh, tipping. So instead of charging a fee to our user, I, I remember uh, we were just saying, you know, why why don't we just allow the users to tip for you know having you use the um, price prediction engine, and you know it's optional. And I I just was just flabbergasted by how many people tip, and it, it became a, a revenue vertical in itself. And you know it's it's just because you reach out to all these users. At the same time, and and so something that I, I saw as uh, such a, a small uh, a small idea could could have such a big effect on our, our top line, from, you know, from just the uh, extreme reach that our app has. But then there's challenge as well. Um, uh, prepping for growth is is just has no blueprint in tech.
1: it's all uncharted waters you
0: know um it's not cookie cutter as real estate where you know your tenant pays a certain rent and you know you you would just put it in the grinder uh put in the churn the turnover of the tenant but you know you have a whole market that kind of all balance it themselves out and comps uh, when you put out a new vertical of revenue at Hopper, it's very hard to compete to anything, and so you know you build scenarios and and you know and then you hold on to <laughs> uh, for the ride basically and see yeah. um, and, and see how much uh, traction you're getting out of it. So prepping for growth at Hopper is really about um, being nimble enough so that you can change course if it's not what you expected.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think it leads to a lot of experimentation as well like you the example that you uh, mentioned opening up tipping as a as an example and and you, you know since the growth uh, like you mentioned there's not a cookie cutter uh, approach yeah. to it it's a lot of experimentation seeing what works seeing what doesn't work turning yeah. that on or doubling that uh, doubling down on what does work
0: yeah i remember telling uh, our controller uh, oh please change the chart of account like design it in this fashion because uh you know uh going forward in the, in the many years to come we would like to see it as departments like this and w- and whatnot so use these segments and <laughs> we're 11 months later and i basically told her to throw it to the trash can <laughs> we're gonna revamp it to a charter of account that is driven by business units at this point right so it just tells you <laughs> the speed of which things evolved <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's actually a great segue because I was going to ask about the time that you joined Hopper. So you joined the company in April of 2018. And so at that time, Hopper was around 90 people. And since then, you've helped the company raise over $100 million in venture capital from the likes of Omers, Case, Accomplice, BDC and others. And, and in, in addition to that, since then, the team has now grown to over 330 people. And so what I wanted to spend some time on was uh, asking about what were the first 100 days like as, a, as the first finance hire At a ninety percent high growth tech company,
0: I wasn't the first finance hire. So technically, when we came in, we had uh, we had an employee who had a masters in finance, but really was uh, a jack of all trades. And then we had somebody who applied to be an office manager and ended up being taking care of uh, paying bills (laughs) and um, taking care of uh, the banking. Uh, And so it was a very eclectic uh, little team there. And then we had um, consultants hired that were coming in two days a week uh, for the bookkeeping part of things. Kind of weird because I set myself in there and there was really nobody to guide you into like, okay, so this is what we expect of a finance department. And even going through the interviews, I remember... Um, that nobody really knew what to ask me. And so, the first 100 days there was a, a very much a, um, you have to go and ask yourself the the right questions to the stakeholders. So, it, it was very much um, me, I would say even the first 30 days was very much me interviewing other stakeholders of the pain points of what and the tools they would require to do their job better from from a finance department and what they would think a finance department does for them and so even on the board members um, uh, remember just asking them like hey what do you get lately and how can i help you do your job better or uh, better uh, have a better assessment of what's happening at hopper and so that was really the first 30 days. And then afterwards, it was to set a plan for the fundamentals. Been sitting down a lot with everybody who who were involved, uh, cleaning up the process, defining the roles, who has to do what. Really had to define the fundamentals of uh, the department. And uh, keep in mind, this is very much at the inception of the finance department. So even to determine, uh, you know, Who's going to do the payroll? Every role really had to be defined. And then there was the assessment of the systems we had. So in order to be able to keep the growth going on, um, I really wanted them to leverage systems and not just add headcounts. And then the whole recording of the data, which is accounting, right, is the is truly the basic of um, building your, your data set. In order to eventually uh, bring more value into analysis, I, I basically needed to build history, build uh, a database, in order to uh, eventually get to the value add of finance, where you can actually help people. So, so the first 30 days was really asking what was uh, what was needed from stakeholders, other departments, uh, investors, leadership team. And at that point, to build the fundamentals to fit that need, and 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 not just uh, do because I pl- how I please and how I like to have my accounting done. So it, it was very much from the first day that that culture of being customer centric is, uh, is it was very important mm-hmm. and was pushed down right away, even though we were just three three people. Um, that they were they always had to keep in mind. Uh, who we were addressing our work to, and not just doing our work for the sake right. of doing it. So
1: Yeah, totally. And so, you know, since then, um, Hopper has uh, experienced an insane growth trajectory. And so, talk to me a little about the, in particular to the finance org, you touched on this a little bit, is that, uh, you know, thinking in systems rather than just increasing headcount. So, what have you had to change in the last one and a half years to support the company's growth as it grew from 90 people to the time you joined to over 330
0: now? Yes. So for from, from the generalists we had as uh, three first headcount, um, from doing every single thing, um, I had to m- make people more comfortable about having more of specialists come in. Uh, and that's never an easy thing, uh, during growth. Um, people tend to hold on to what they know. Um, and so it it kind of can break culture, uh, change the way, you know, people approach things. Um, I would say there was... A couple of milestones during uh, the growth phase. One was when we raised $100 million. People getting more comfortable, being able to bring back that that uh, startup culture was was, was something uh, our leadership team was very adamant of bringing back. Um, y- you can see it just by the speed of which we roll out product. You know, suddenly having money in the bank made everybody feel like we can be more patient about it and uh, and taking their time so um the part part of the growth was being uh, able to set back a culture this start uh, a startup culture to be able to uh, keep pushing forward and uh, not setting in uh, complacency especially that as we hire so much uh, the new people will always outweigh um Let's call it your veterans, your 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 core people, mm-hmm. and it it can set in a new culture because just with sheer mass of people, right? And so um, there there was a real push down of uh, bringing back our our leadership principle, our culture, of you know being fast, having strong bias for reaction, that it's okay to fail, uh, you know, as long as we learn from it. And so that was. Um, that was one of the things that that really had to be put in place uh, during the hyper growth, I would say, uh, of the last year. Particularly to the finance org, uh, there was a framework of decision making that was made. So you know, uh, where everything funneled to, through me had to be, you know, we had to. I had to be able to enable my leaders uh, to make their own decisions. Um, and so you know there, there's a clear cut in finance now where you you had uh, you have more of the compliance team reporting compliance so you have a really um, a stable set mind there that that's able to bring out that understands uh you know the need for more of the external part of things and then i have a finance uh, finance operations team there uh, with a leader that that you know, they're much more getting their hands dirty, uh, talking to the product managers, seeing what's coming up, and anticipating uh, operational issues in finance. You know, down to the way we're just going to collect the money. Uh, different mm-hmm. revenue lanes and different uh, uh, different verticals had all uh, their own challenge. So you 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 almost have a different kind of person working in finance on that side uh finance
1: right. more of those addressing those specialties like you were talking about rather than having a you know three-person utility team that that you when you started off with you started to get as you went through growth people to get specialized into particular areas uh, within the finance function exactly and so last question now before we jump into our quick fire round and that is in your opinion what is the biggest misconception about the finance function within a technology company
0: tech prides itself of moving really fast um and and, you know it's you know when you you bring the finance person (laughs) into a meeting it's like "Mm, they're gonna slow us down here comes red tape here comes cost control they you know it's all about the bottom line. There's no vision there, and so it's you know it's it's you know I've, that's definitely a, a misconception. Because I think I've 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 complained more about not spending, uh, not allocating enough capital uh, more often than I've said about cost control. So um, you know uh, an example is um, we had this project and and to do testing we we had you know it would it cost uh you know about thirty thousand dollars just to uh to gather data and you know because it it would it would have created some risk and and you know it would have put thirty thousand dollars of potential liability and so you know the pm came to me and said oh um I, I know your worries, and so that's why I'm, I'm just going to go in increments of 3000 at a time. I literally told him, every month that you slow down your rollout, uh, I probably will lose about $160,000, and so please roll out all your testing all at once, even if it costs $100,000. And, yeah. you know, they look at you like it's not the answer they expected when they walked into the room. And But it's, you know, it's, it's just a misconception because uh, truthfully, we're we're great capital allocator and it capital all- allocation doesn't mean slow, you know, just preserving capital right? They, they see us as uh, right. capital, pre- how do you say it in English, uh, preservation?
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's not about just saving for the sake of, of saving the the capital, but <laughs> it's knowing when to invest, when to double down, when to re- retract um, and, and totally like being master capital allocators is yeah. uh, is more of the, the role.
0: Our, our, our real time clock is our cash burn, right? So, um, you know, saying that you're going to roll out your product three months late is actually more painful to me (laughs) than saying that you need to spend a hundred thousand dollars to get it rolled out right so it's um Um, but it's always funny to see how uncomfortable they are (laughs) when you tell them that they're not spending enough
1: well what i'd love to do now is uh jump into our quickfire round and the way this works is i'll ask you some questions you have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each how does that sound
0: Go, go ahead. I'm right.
1: All right. So, what is your go-to online resource for all things startup finance or growth finance related?
0: I don't really have any allegiance to any uh, particular one. Um, you know, I'll, I'll read those medium articles, uh, just like uh, most people. But uh, I'm much a bigger fan of in-person conference or being able to talk to a, a network of contacts of VCs are bankers or professionals in the field um that makes sense it's, it's just much more personal so
1: yeah what's your favorite productivity hack
0: uh i phantom block a lot my can calendar with um with um you know just empty meetings but really it's just you know when i see four meetings in a row um i know that the f- fifth meeting uh, it won't you know won't do me any good so I like to space some time out just to like uh, assess and actually are able to do some work and uh, catch up right. on, uh, on work.
1: Yeah, or just gather your thoughts from the previous four meetings. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing?
0: Uh, I like to clear my easy wins. So uh, if there's any requests or um, uh, stuff I can just send over and get rid of. Um, I, I definitely clean up those uh, as fast as I can. Makes you look good because it, it looks like uh, <laughs> it, ma- it makes you look like uh, you're answering really fast. But really, if there's any easy wins, I'm not gonna make a list and write it down. So you know, let's just get it cleared off your, your plate and move on.
1: That's an interesting approach. I, I like it. it. You know, if it's not if it's quick enough that you don't have to write it down in a list, just address it and and you know move exactly. on. I, I like it that.
0: Takes as much time just to take care of it than, than yeah. writing it down. So
1: fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's one tech jargon that makes you cringe?
0: I, I really I don't like scale in the context that a lot of people use it. Um, as though business and human behavior and business behavior is just linear, and uh, you know, so it, it it feels a lot of time when when something comes out that they think they can just now we're just going to inject ten times the money and it, it will scale ten mm. times. Um, I, I think there's more dynamic to this um, uh, to anything. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's human behavior. It's um, you know, it's it's just. It's not a guarantee that you're gonna 10x if you spend 10x.
1: Right, everything is not a one for one, or it's not yeah. linear, like you said. Yeah, totally. Uh, what's uh, the best advice you've received so far in your career?
0: Uh, so I've worked for a CFO who once told me, because um, I, I actually told him, uh, like, oh, I've, i you know, I, I don't know how to do this, and it has nothing to do with finance. And and he said, I don't know of a great exec that has ever been great because they were amazing at accounting. <laughs> and so you should always be grateful when I ask you to do things that is not in your field of knowledge. <laughs> and I've really kept that to heart uh, ever since. That you know, if somebody asked me to do something that is you know completely left field, I should be very happy to do it. <laughs>
1: That's great advice for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's a funny one, but that that's, uh, definitely rings true. Well, thank you so much, Koi. I really enjoyed this chat and this conversation. Learned a lot about your career journey. I learned a lot about Hopper and the first 100 days of how you got started to scaling the finance function at Hopper, as well as the opportunities and challenges that you know you faced or observed as you transitioned into uh, a tech finance operating role versus that those in other industries where where you came from so once again appreciate the time and thanks again so much koi
0: thank you for having me and uh best of luck and uh, great continuity with your podcast i love it
1: awesome thanks so much thanks. bye now bye and that wraps up another episode of the backbone i hope you enjoyed that fascinating discussion with koi lee vp of finance at hopper check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on the backbone from companies like ecobee wealth simple league and many more Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.